For many years now, Jeremiah has been my favorite character in the Bible. He's someone who had a terrible message to convey. He lived through the apocalypse, and he was charged with the task of proclaiming this news, of proclaiming the impending doom of his people and his society and his civilization. And of course, because of this message, he was deeply, continuously persecuted. A characteristic chapter in the book is chapter 19, where Jeremiah is told by God to take a piece of pottery and stand by the gate in the entrance of the city of Jerusalem, and then to proclaim unto the people that this city is going to be destroyed. And he does it in the most blistering graphic language. He says in chapter 19 that you are going to see women and men eat their children. People are going to eat their friends because of the impending siege, the impending privation that's going to transpire in this place. And he throws down the vessel and he shatters it and he says, just like the shattered vessel cannot be repaired, so too this city, this, this land is going to be shattered because of God's wrath. And in response to this, we have this other character appear. This character's name is Pashur and we learn subsequently that he's a prophet and he punches Jeremiah. It says he smites Jeremiah and he locks him in the stocks. He puts him in some sort of torture chamber overnight and in the morning, he comes there to visit Jeremiah, who's been incarcerated because of this message, this message of demoralization, this message ultimately of surrender to the enemy. Um, and, you know, Jeremiah is defiant. And he looks at him, he says, God does not call you Pashur, but rather Magor Misaviv, which is Hebrew for a siege surrounding us, or siege surrounding. And this is the character of Jeremiah. This is his tragic role um, in in knowing the apocalypse is upon him. The apocalypse is imminent. And he's kind of a Socrates from the Jewish tradition, someone who's burdened and persecuted for speaking the truth. And so the whole book of Jeremiah is suffused with this kind of anxiety, with a kind of deep grief. Um, some of the language of grief in the book is the most poetic and beautiful um, that you'll find in the Bible. And there's a, a, a sense of, of, of anxiety that suffuses the book. The theme of social justice is central to Jeremiah's message. And, and a great example of that, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, is chapter 34. And in this chapter, Jeremiah describes how every seven years, the people are obligated by law, by the divine law, to release their slaves. This is an injunction in the Bible around uh, Israelite slaves. Every seven years they go free. And Jeremiah describes how the people in this time period have found a legal fiction. You know, they found a way to circumvent this law. So what they do is they, of course, free the slaves as the law dictates, as the law demands, and then they find some uh, loophole to just take the slaves back immediately afterwards. So um, satisfying, of course, uh, some, some technicality, but uh, flaunting the, the spirit of the law. And so Jeremiah addresses this in chapter 34, quote, And ye were now turned, and had done right in my sight, in proclaiming liberty every man to his neighbor. And ye had made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name. But ye turned and polluted my name, and caused every man his servant, and every man his handmaid, whom ye had set at liberty at their pleasure, to return, and brought them into subjection, to be unto you for servants and for handmaids. Therefore, Thus saith the Lord, ye have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother, 
and every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine, and I will make you to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. End quote. And in the Hebrew, of course, this is very powerful poetic language. He says, Atem lo shamatem elai. You didn't listen to me. Likro dror. To call this liberty, jubilee, this freedom. This freedom. Ish le'achiv, ish le'reu. Everyone, every man for his brother and to his friend. Hineni kore lachem dror. He says, therefore, I will call freedom unto you. Thus saith the Lord. Freedom to the sword, freedom to the pestilence, and freedom to the famine. And I will make you a horror unto all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, I don't know if Borges was aware of these verses in Jeremiah at the time of his writing The Cruel Redeemer, Lazarus Morel. But this kind of punning, this punning on the word freedom, this twisting and ironic usage of the word freedom appears in exactly the same way in Borges' short story, The Cruel Redeemer, Lazarus Morel. Borges writes in the context of runaway slaves. Uh, Lazarus Morel is promising these slaves their freedom, so he helps them run away, uh, but he never really follows through on the promise. So, quote, the runaway expected his freedom. Therefore, the nebulous mulattoes of Lazarus Morel would give a sign, and the runaway would be freed from sight, hearing, touch, daylight, iniquity, time, benefactors, mercy, air, dogs, the universe, hope, sweat, and from himself. End quote. The unbearable, unassimilable stress and trauma of the book boils through and, and manifests itself in quite incredible ways. In chapter 20 in Jeremiah, we, we have Jeremiah cursing the day he was born. It's a really strong chapter of antinatalism, this uh, wishing to not exist. Um, and it, we have another example of cursing the day someone was born from the book of Job. Uh, Job also famously curses the day he was born. Um, and, and, and that curse, uh, compared to Jeremiah's curse, is, is incredibly tame. So, you know, from the book of Job, chapter 3, he says, May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, A boy is born. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it, and may no light shine on it. That is a very tame way to curse the day you were born. Uh, with that as a sort of baseline, look at how Jeremiah curses the day he was born. Um, look at the kind of anguish and, and pain that sort of comes through in this character. Jeremiah says, Cursed be the day wherein I was born, the day wherein my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. So far, that's similar to Job. And then he gets very specific. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. And let that man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not. And let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noontide because he slew me not from the womb. And so my mother would have been my grave and her womb always great. The Hebrew there, virachma harat olam, I think is more like a, the womb, my, my permanent resting place. 
Similarly to this theme of antinatalism, chapter 16, God commands Jeremiah explicitly. He says, Thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. For thus saith the Lord, concerning the sons and concerning the daughters that are born in this place, and concerning their mothers that bore them, and concerning their fathers that begot them in this land, they shall die of grievous deaths, and they shall not be lamented, neither shall they be buried. They shall be as dung upon the face of the earth, and they shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their carcasses shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and the beasts of the earth. End quote. One of the most enduring themes and messages from the book of Jeremiah and its imprint on subsequent writing is the theme of grief. Uh, the way in which the book seems to capture this sort of apotheosis of grief about the coming doom, the coming apocalypse. From chapter 8, we have one of these classic poetic expressions of Jeremiah's grief, which are almost unparalleled um, in the Bible. Jeremiah says, For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I seized with anguish. I am black. A palmen hath taken hold of me. He says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? And he continues, Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And of course, this language is there no bomb in Gilad, is very well known and very famous now because of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. And so in The Raven, when our narrator of the poem is steeped in grief for his lost Lenore, and he's berating the, the raven at his windowsill, and he's begging him to uh, offer some words of comfort or, or give him some comfort uh, for his lost Lenore, he says, Quote, prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly I implore, is there, is there bomb in Gilad? Tell me, tell me I implore, quoth the raven nevermore, end quote. And even more well known and often cited and referenced than that is this Crying on high. Kol biramanishma, this voice on high of weeping. And it appears in two places in Jeremiah. The more famous and often cited instance is from chapter 31. And we'll look at that in a second. But chapter 31 has its antecedent and its roots in chapter 3. In chapter 3, we have Kol al shifayim nishma bechi. Tachnune b'nei Israel. In English, hark upon the high hills is heard the suppliant weeping of the children of Israel. Jeremiah continues a few verses later in the voice of the weeping exiles. Let us lie down in our shame and let our confusion cover us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers from our youth even unto this day, and we have not hearkened to the voice of the Lord our God. End quote. And this theme of weeping on high reappears in chapter 31. And the, the Hebrew words are, are, are different, but the meaning is the same, and the image is exactly parallel. Verse 14, Ko amar thus saith the Lord, Ko birama nishma, 
a voice is heard on high. Nehi bechi tamurim. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel mevaka albaneha me'ena lihinachem albaneha kianenu. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuseth to be comforted for her children because they are not. And the verse, uh, the verses continue with, with comforting words. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping, thine eyes and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of their enemy. And there is hope for thy future, saith the Lord, and thy children shall return to their own border. End quote. And of course, this image of Rachel weeping is a very powerful and often cited image throughout all of literature. But my favorite reference to those lines in Jeremiah comes from the end of Moby Dick. So towards the end of Moby Dick, uh, the Pequod and Captain Ahab are searching for the white whale and they come across a ship, the Rachel. And Ahab calls to the captain of the Rachel and says, have you seen the white whale? Um, and they quickly learn that the captain of the Rachel is looking for their, his son. His son was uh, tossed overboard. And uh, they're, they're searching for him. They're, you know, trying to rescue him. Um, but, of course, given the vastness of the sea, uh, there's, there's a sense, even then, at that point in the book, that uh, the search is probably futile. Um, but the, the captain is grief-stricken. And in the very end of the book, the epilogue of Moby Dick, Ishmael, our narrator, describes his rescue um, as follows. Quote, Buoyed by that coffin, for almost one whole day and night, I floated on a soft and dirge-like mane. The unharming sharks, they glided by as if with padlocks on their mouth. The savage seahawks sailed with sheathed beaks. On the second day, a sail drew near, nearer, and picked me up at last. It was the devious, cruising Rachel that in her retracing search after her missing children only found another orphan.